0: Today on the CMO series podcast, we are going to be discussing uh, a pretty hot topic, I think everybody will agree, it's going to be titled trusting your team uh, and lessons from a legal CMO. I'm sure you'll all agree that building a strong team is the foundation for success within any department, be be it in law or in finance, any of the the different sectors, building a team and establishing a culture uh, of trust within Those teams and across the wider firm is arguably one of the most important roles uh, of any leader. uh, And we're going to specify this down to CMO. Today on the CMO series, we're lucky to welcome Justin Portaz, Chief Marketing Officer at Genuine Block, who has masterfully created a powerhouse marketing team over the past three years. And we're going to delve into Justin's journey of transforming adversity into triumph and building an agile marketing team that thrives in today's dynamic landscape. Justin, we've spoken um, quite a few times now, and I know we've had a little back and forth about this exact topic. But um, if you could explain a little bit more about how, how did you approach team building during the uncertain times of COVID? Uh, because I know that's kind of when you really started this um, this project of building out the perfect team. Yeah, the timing was
1: certainly interesting. Uh, I stepped into the CMO role in February of 2020 and had grand visions of all that I would accomplish. And uh, about a month in, the pandemic hit and everything that I had dreamed of accomplishing had to take uh, a back seat. The approach that I took was very much on a human level. Um, The work wasn't going to get done if people didn't have basic needs met, a sense of security and stability in one of the most insecure and unstable times, and and that's where I really focused. Um, you know, work could at times provide a healthy distraction uh, or or an area of focus, but that level of humanity is what I felt was going to help bring this team through um, some very very dark and uncertain days. And so, you know, my approach was we. Are producing strong work, and we can get the work done, and we can help the firm grow, and we can win new business and raise profile. But you know, the marketing lens is one that, for me, you know, that's where we learn more about ourselves and about one another. And so, um, it was really about how do we approach this team from a level of humanity and care for one another, and empathy for the situation that we are all in. There was something really powerful, um, sad, but powerful about this global shared experience in that while building a team, it was an incredibly bonding experience because everybody was experiencing it from, uh, you know, a common issue from their own perspective. And we had something to share and we had something, you know, a common enemy, I suppose, um, to, to rally around. And so. Um, It really solidified a level of deep care within this team for one another and a willingness to just shoulder whatever anybody needed at any moment, no questions asked. We became significantly stronger as a unit through those times um, because we opened up and we were vulnerable and we shared our fears. And we had daily sessions, daily Zoom sessions for a while Uh, You know, we tapered it down to weekly, but we still had those sessions where uh, it wasn't talk about, you know, this pitch or that media opportunity. It was about how are you doing as a human and what do you need to get through this day or what does your family need to get through this day Um, and to be able to talk about those things because it was the pandemic on top of, you know, real emphasis on the Black Lives Matter movement and a whole lot of um, cultural insecurities that were happening, too. And uh, that that human level was really the approach that I took um, because without that foundation, the work wasn't going to get done or wasn't going to get done in the right way. and we needed that uh, as the as the platform to create um, what I was empowered to do was was create the best marketing team in the business and it had to start there.
0: It sounds it sounds like a really um. <laughs> decent way to approach it as a, as as you say, sort of on a human level. And I think there was a, I can't remember if it was in the UK or the US at the time, but it was the phrase that, you know, we're all in this together, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. sounds so obvious when you say it out loud, but it it really was the case. Everybody had to deal with it. Everybody had dealt with it in a different way. But um, it sounds like you, it sounds like you really took a, a, a solid approach to it.
1: But it was interesting, too, because there was a lot of shared problem solving in those moments. You know, people said, this works for me, and maybe this might work for you. And it was, mm-hmm. you know, people weren't holding back. I think that was what was really powerful about it is there wasn't, um, because it was such a shared experience, because everybody was exposed and vulnerable in a, in a pretty raw way across the globe, you know, there wasn't as much fear of, I can't share this you know, discomfort and um and and be authentic among people that yes, we worked together, but we became so much more than just work colleagues.
0: Yeah. What um what did you get from management in terms of like what role did trust from firm management play during that process? There must have been a huge amount uh lying on your on your shoulders from them, given that they you started in, in February 2020.
1: Yeah, trust from management for management was absolutely paramount. Uh, the beauty of it, though, is that we were united from the from the start. The task that I was entrusted with was build the best marketing team in the business and hold them together. Uh, and that comes, you know, January, February of, of 2020, right? And then everything turns upside down. Yeah. Um, but we were truly, myself and firm leadership, unified by values and by vision. And I was empowered to lead and make decisions. I think what's interesting is, you know, stepping into the CMO role for the first time. Sometimes you don't want to make waves, and and recognizing that you're actually there to make waves uh, was an interesting, uh, you know, awakening for me. But stepping in at the time of significant change for the firm, so we had new co-managing partners that were brought in um, in you know, or you know, promoted from within in uh, January of that year a new COO that helped significantly remove barriers and break down the walls and silos that, that really impeded some of the progress. Um, and when I went to firm leadership with a vision and said, this is what we need if we're gonna be the best in the business and create a really different approach to marketing, client development, strategic branding, you know, digital programs and, and innovative on, innovating on new areas, this is what we need. And it was ex- an expanded team for sure. Um, I think we've increased headcount, you know, 10 or 11 people um, in that time. And that doesn't happen uh, without a clear cause and without a clear vision for the need to double down on things like marketing and client development and strategic growth when the world seems to be crumbling. Um, and so, you know, kudos to firm leadership for recognizing that the area to, to cut in a pandemic is not the one that's going to help bring and you know that rebound and that is there to support and sustain. I think we had the upside of quite frankly the timeline on business development and and client pitches uh you know went from about three weeks to to three days or sometimes three hours, it seemed, because everybody was just stuck at home. Um, you know, but this is an organization, and, and I'm, I'm proud to be part of this group. Where, you know, removing people or cutting cutting people was never part of the consideration set um, for how we would navigate through these uncertain times. And so, having that confidence that we're again, as you said before, we're in this together, all for one. Um, you know, gave a level of of comfort and security in that we could push the envelope. We were expected to push the envelope to try new things to help move this um, organization forward in times of uncertainty so that when things did level out, we were on solid footing and not playing catch up uh, that others might have to have, have done.
0: Do you think there was a certain aspect of maybe COVID um, being a good thing in that there was a, a almost like a reset button that happened?
1: Uh, I, I don't know that I'll ever call COVID a good thing, but uh, <laughs> uh, it, it was a unifying factor and it was a common enemy. Nice. Um, And mm-hmm. the, again, it's, you know, there, the there are a few moments in one's life where a, a, a large group, you know, whether in a country or, or around the globe is, is generally united. And of course we can, you know, there's all sorts of stories of the, of the, of not being united on this on this cause or this issue. But you know, the, the reality is in this space, um, that deep unity did create deeper bonds, a level of trust, an opportunity for empowerment and to let people be expert in the areas where they are best serviced and and you know, best positioned to lead.
0: Yeah, I I realized as soon as I said. Good thing. probably (laughs) probably not the best wording for it
1: (laughs) (laughs) but you know i think the reality is seize the moments of opportunity not that you know we're leveraging a bad situation for our for our game but we're given these opportunities in every single day in in interaction how are we going to use that particular opportunity are we using it you know, to transition something to a cause of good or or to a positive, or are we too afraid to talk about it? And, you know, we're going to let something linger. Uh, and I think looking at every opportunity is I think we can often look at every interaction as a moment of a, a teachable moment. What are we here to learn or what are we here to empower others to do, or how can we help, you know, leverage this particular experience, um, to become something that makes us stronger or more united or advances a particular goal or more empathetic. And so, you know, the pandemic certainly created um, plenty of opportunity for that, for those that were bold enough to um, to see it and brave enough to to
0: tackle it. Yeah, I, I think it was, you've taken on the, the the perfect opportunity there and the way you worded it was spot on. Um, when, it, when it came to building, that team and the trust that was put into you to to do it beyond the actual numbers? How did you ensure that you were bringing in the right people? How did you m- measure it? If there was a measurement that you worked to.
1: Yeah, this one goes back to, to trust um, as sort of the title of what we're, of what we're talking about. I, And I will ensure that my team are not a group of micromanagers. No one here wants to be. And I think micromanagement is just demoralizing. And if you hire the right people and you empower them and you give them a level of of trust, um, they will surprise you. And so I, in the interview process, I focus on values and cultural fit. And... You know, there are certain things I look for, accountability and grit, um, respect, and, you know, a real level of integrity. Those are the things that rise to the surface for me. There are a lot of really smart and talented people out there, but they won't all fit into what we're building here. And the interview process isn't about me. Uh, I don't want to be the one that, you know, brings the hammer down and says, this is the one person you're all going to work with them. Or, you know, we're definitely saying no to, to this person that you all love there's a reason why teams work and it is a trust in one another. And I trust my team to be responsible in many respects for finding the talent. Now, you know, I'm there and of course, ultimately we'll take the responsibility for whether someone is successful or unsuccessful in this team. But when someone joins, we all have a shared responsibility for their success. We do this as a group. So, you know, for for those that have joined uh, this team recently, they will attest that our interview process may seem longer and more arduous than others, but it's because I don't want people to just go into that interview process and meet with the person that they're reporting to, but meet with the person that you're working with that's either, you know, at, at various levels of this team because we're in this together. And um, you know, for me, it is really about finding those people that have a hunger and a talent to succeed and then empowering them and giving them space to flourish. My role, full stop, is to clear the hurdles that are in the path of others and to set them up with the opportunities to do what they're naturally gifted at doing. If I do that, the rest tends to take care of itself.
0: I think um, getting it right from the offset is so key to making sure that you've got the right person in the right place.
1: It's true. Um, And, you know, we, not every story is a success story, but, you know, I think back a lot to when failure happens or when someone doesn't pan out or when a process doesn't pan out the way, the way you do, the way you want it to, how do you handle that situation? And how do you look at the factors at play? And and oftentimes it's may not be about the person. It may be about the fit or the process or the, or the responsibility. You know, it's not an indictment on anyone as a, at a human level, they just might not be the right fit for that particular role. And so, you know, going back to a simple level of humanity, understanding what people are going through outside of this workspace to me is critically important. Mm -hmm. It's the first thing I look at when a shortcoming happens. It's not, oh my gosh, I can't believe you messed that up and you're a failure as a person or, you know, you're, you know, going to write you up. It's what else is going on because no one on this team, and I think in our profession, we find this often, nobody is there to try and screw things up. They all want to do their absolute level best and things get in the way sometimes. We're human. We have to navigate the human part of this first before we uncover and unlock the maximum potential on the business side of things. And sometimes you don't need to do a lot on the human side, but sometimes, again, it goes back to what we dealt with in the pandemic, ensuring that there is that level of stability um, and real care at the outset allows people to be a lot more successful in their working environment. Um, and, you know, think bigger thoughts and come up with creative solutions in ways that will astound you as a leader. If they've got that platform or that foundation to, to build from.
0: And just going back to something I, I was trying to rack my brain whilst whilst you were answering that, that question about micromanagement. I read a book and I can't remember who it was by. That was what I was trying to get to. But if, uh, there, there was a phrase in there that I think micromanagement is uh, unnecessary if you have the correct people in your team. And I, I'd love to, I mean, if I remember who it was, we'll we'll put it in the, the text to this uh, <laughs> podcast and I'm just trying to rack my brain for it, but it hasn't come to me yet.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it's absolutely, it's absolutely true. If you're micromanaging, look, in their moments, when someone is very junior in their career and they need that. Right. But for the most part if you have the right people and you just give them the space and the resources that's the difficult part sometimes but the space and the resources to do what they're naturally
0: skilled at doing it's it's astounding giving them the opportunity to flourish
1: mhm absolutely
0: um something we discussed before when i uh, came and visited you in in chicago um was about how you foster a collaboration between marketing and other departments and how, I think you you said something along the lines of, it was key to have full understanding of how marketing could work with the other departments. How did you go about that whilst you were also building this um, team of, of, well, this bigger team and this better team?
1: So there were a couple of factors at play uh, that, that led to this opening up of opportunity across departments. Uh, One was having a new COO join and breaking down the walls that had historically existed between professional services team. Uh, It's led to this real intense uh, collaboration, transparency, direct communication, feedback, or humanity and humility, I think, in our collective efforts, because it was recognizing that the right way to succeed depends on a lot of factors that are often outside of our control. And so... I find that teams within law firms will often, you know, butt heads or bang their heads against the wall because their priorities are not shared priorities. And how do you understand and advocate effectively as a leadership team with other departments as those co-leaders for an effective change within an organization that allows for maximum success? And there's some selflessness that goes into that to advocate for other groups in lieu of what you might want or need. Because understanding that if, you know, the finance team gets another pricing person or the IT team gets another person that can do, you know, a particular skill, or, you know, we we launch a business services team that can take some things off of our plate that ultimately does benefit what the marketing department is trying to accomplish. But the path is rarely straight. And for me, I have found that by vocalizing a particular need within the marketing department, but recognizing the solution doesn't have to be more headcount in marketing, and that there's a solution that can benefit a broader audience, bringing those to the surface um, has really created some wonderful opportunities here, including the creation of basically practice group management and a new relaunched, revamped business services function, all of which takes things off of the plate for marketing, have historically sat there, but also taking things off of the plate for practice group leaders um, or finance or, you know, a, a variety of other groups. And so there's this shared benefit. And I think when we stopped focusing on me first and, and started to really say, we first, how are we as an organization prioritizing? Uh, it unlocked a lot of that collaborative uh, potential and uh, has created a, a lot healthier culture within the professional services teams.
0: And how have those collaborative efforts driven business uh, success? Is there a is there an example, or is there a um, a point where you can really point to the the collaboration of marketing and other departments creating business? Uh,
1: there are plenty of examples. I think the one that is probably most clear cut that ties into what we're doing is a real emphasis um, on on client teams. And recognizing in our collaboration with finance just how important the transparency is around being able to tell lawyers a particular story about their client uh, and about the opportunities for improved financial performance uh, that they sometimes may not want to hear or may not have have had data to do. And so, you know, by being able to work with our finance department and really start to get into dashboards around client performance, You know, what is the margin on a particular matter? Which matters are more successful? We're able to drive our efforts towards expansion in very specific ways to say, we want more of this type of matter and less of that. Or we want to do more with this client and less with that client until we address, you know, a particular challenge that we have, whether it's a rate issue or whether it's, you know, a timing issue. Um, And that will have a material impact on the profitability of the organization. Um, and we're starting, you know, we're at the at the forefront of that piece of it because it's, it just takes time to get the data right uh, and to get dashboards built. But we're removing these barriers around, you know, behind which I think lawyers may have been able to previously hide, um, whether intentional or through no fault of their own. And so uh, the data doesn't lie and we're able to make much more strategic decisions as
0: a result. Yeah. There's there's a lot to to um cover as well when it kind of comes to that collaboration as well. I think that's possibly we could go into that in part two of this uh <laughs> podcast. Maybe there is yeah, a part it's... two in the horizon for us. <laughs> ha-
1: happy to. I think that you know the, the collaboration is key. There's nothing no no great thing gets done alone in, in my
0: experience. So I think that's a good message to pass across. Um, there's so much for us to cover, Justin. And I know whenever we've spoken before, we've kind of had chats that could, that could go on for an hour or so. I wanted to kind of see if you had uh, one piece of advice for marketing leaders looking to build trust within their team. And also, if you had any advice of to sort of building that perfect team, if you had any key pointers that you could pass on
1: the first one that i've always leaned on is that it's not about you it's about them it's about the team the strongest leaders i know have incredibly strong and dedicated and passionate teams behind you behind them so for me it is this investment in the people that quite frankly are the ones that prop me up in a thousand different ways um, and i have the privilege to Be aligned with them. And so recognizing that your success is really about how successful they are as individuals, how empowered they can be, how inspired they are, uh, what opportunities they're given, how much they can see a path forward. All of those things, to me, it's not about what I do or what I necessarily say or how I you know, come up with an idea or drive something forward. It's about how is this unit of incredibly strong, gifted, and talented people rallying together and given the opportunity to sh- have a shared vision um, that allows me to be successful in in this particular role. So, um, those relationships and the deep care on the human level for the individuals uh, are what I have seen as being both an area where in which trust is developed and one that ultimately um i would like to hope and think puts me on a uh, you know on a trajectory of success
0: and any advice on on building the best team is there any top pointers that you would say my recommendation there
1: is that every culture and every firm has its nuance and and has its difference. And I think where I may have made some missteps in the beginning uh, was to try and emulate people more than find what was authentically me or what was authentically Jenner in this instance, or what was authentically this Jenner marketing team, because we have a, a rhythm and a heartbeat of our own and it's slightly different. And so if I try and inject a vision of a leader that I admire and I try and force it into a culture that isn't quite ready for it or that it doesn't quite resonate, um, You know, the, the results will speak for themselves. And so what I've found is understand the culture that you're trying to build and do it your way. Take the tips and take the ideas, but there's a little bit of that mental gymnastics that has to go on to say, all right, I love this concept. How does that work? And how does that translate into this group? Um, because it will probably not be a perfect fit, but if you are creative enough, you will find the way, and quite frankly, give your team the opportunity to find the way themselves to take idea X and make it authentically theirs.
0: Brilliant, some brilliant advice. Uh, and, and I think also, I would add to that from a little shout out from Jennifer Dolan at Cat, and she mentioned, um, and a similar process to you. Um, time, take take time to to build the team. It's not going to happen tomorrow. Um, you need you need to give yourself that right amount of time to say it's going to take a year or eighteen months. Or it, it, it's something that's also important. Uh, it it is so
1: far taken three years and it is not done. <laughs> and I think I, I think that's the beauty of it. This is a this is a living, breathing organism. It is yeah. not done growing, and it will shape shift in many different iterations. I mean, you know, just yesterday I was on our on our org chart making some adjustments because we decided, hey, we need to go in this particular direction. And instead of having this role, we want two of this role. And so the you you just have to be flexible and if you hold on too hard to a particular vision and you just try and drive that home, you're missing the opportunity to let the team define itself in the way that it will work best.
0: Constant work in progress. <laughs> Absolutely. The job Which is, is probably, probably not what you want to hear right now.
1: <laughs> I, I, I've realized that that's just the reality of it. And, yeah. you know, when you, when you accept it, And, you know, you realize this goes back to sort of, you know, my wife is the therapist and counselor, you know, a lot of the job is just on the human side and you've, you've got to just sort of understand, um, you know, you're not dealing with, with widgets or robots, you're dealing with real emotion and people's lives change dramatically day by day. And so, um, you know, flexible leadership is, is a real skill. Um, but it, without it, I think life becomes pretty, um, pretty, pretty difficult. Uh, you just take, you take work home with you anyway, but, um, if you're stuck in that mindset, if it's gotta be this way, uh, it'll just drive you nuts. And nobody wants that. <laughs> Preferably not no. enough going on. Right.
0: We'll jump into the quick fire round now. Uh, if you're ready to go. Sure. What's your favorite business and non-business book?
1: So, uh, it's probably an answer you may have heard before, but i'm I'm a Brene Brown fan, uh, and I would have to say that "Dare to Lead is a book that I quickly devoured, and it's one that I lean into uh, to ground my thinking at times, especially in the first year as CMO. Uh, I went back to it time and time again just to check uh, to see, you know, how am I handling this particular situation, and what can I do uh, that might that I might want to consider doing differently. As for a a non-business book, uh, I'll throw perhaps an unexpected answer your way uh, and go with a kid's book. My favorite kid's book growing up was called Harold and the Purple Crayon by Crockett Johnson. And it's a book that is really about imagination and creativity and resilience and grit and finding your home. And um, it's such a simple book, both in its its drawing and, and artistry, as well as the message uh, and it's one that, you know, I loved as a kid. I give as a gift to people on my team when they have kids. Uh, and I think it's just, it's so simple um, that we have control to create our destiny and our own realities. Uh, and that is a powerful message that I've carried with me from uh, a very young age.
0: Love that. I've I've written both of those down. So I'll, I'll add those to my uh, my next reading. Excellent uh this is often one that that brings up some occasionally funny answers uh what was your first job um
1: my first job i worked games at an amusement park in southwest oh. ohio it was not the fancy amusement park for those that know the area it was <laughs> definitely the locals amusement park uh i think now it may be um either a park or a place that sells rvs so does not exist but uh you know a grounding experience <laughs>
0: Feel like i want to know more but <laughs> i'll jump to the next question uh what is it that makes you happy at work
1: i have to say it is unabashed and authentic laughter when you hear that in the workspace you know something is going right
0: brilliant answer i think more more people could do with laughter i love it what is it that you're listening to at the moment and that justin could be anything from like a podcast or a, an album or maybe an audiobook.
1: So there's two things that come up uh, right now. I've been really into revisionist history podcasts uh, by Malcolm Gladwell. It really digs into understanding things in our past that are often misunderstood or misrepresented. And it's been very illuminating in in how I change perspective on things I might have thought about one way or another. And then on the musical front, I'll give you one there as well. Um, I've really gotten into an artist named Andy Grammer. Um, and it's just an injection of positivity into the start of my day. It's often what I what I pop on uh, when I am on the train into into work. Um, just a really powerful, positive, uplifting message, and a person who uh, has a very, very giving spirit. Uh, and so that's those are the those are the two.
0: I I know Andy Grammer and. Um... I'm going to throw one back at you in that case, and say you should you should listen to Austin Brown. Uh, he has been called the the new Andy Grammer. Ooh, excellent! There you I'll go. Add it to the
1: list. Spotify is is listening.
0: Perfect. Um, I'm also really intrigued to hear this answer because I know you've lived in a few different places over your life. But where is your favorite place to visit, and why?
1: That is, that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> but the, the answer that comes to me right away, I, I have to say it's Spain. Um, and yes, I, I did live there for a couple of years. My dad was born there. I have some family there. To me, it, it feels like home. Uh, in a couple of days, I'll be dreaming in Spanish and and just right back into uh, that culture and that life, which is uh, has a very special place in my heart. Brilliant
0: answer. I, I wasn't sure which one you or where you were going to say, but I love Spain too. We,
1: I give you multiple answers. I, I uh, <laughs> my happy, my happy place is a window seat on an airplane. So, uh, and and off to some new adventure.
0: Sounds pretty good to me. Justin, it, it's been uh, fantastic to have this chat with you. Um, there's a lot of takeaways. I'm sure our listeners have been nodding as they've been hearing some of your responses and, and i'm sure that a lot of them will be taking away some some great insights there as well thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for sharing this with us uh, and as i said there's, there's probably a part two somewhere in the future uh, with, with further information and we can dig deeper into but thanks so much for coming
1: well thank you ed uh to you and the entire passel team it's been a, a privilege and a pleasure absolutely
0: we'll speak soon justin thank you thank you